When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Remember, tomorrow, no show at night for us. We're going to be on at 10 a.m. tomorrow in for Greeny, 10 a.m. to noon. So we'll catch you in the morning right here on 98.7. Yanks with a 2-1 lead over the Toronto Blue Jays. That one is in the bottom of the third inning. Yanks, remember, just need that victory to wrap up the American League East. Judge Two at-bats, no home runs yet for number 99 this evening. Mets executing a, 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 a superb mail-in tonight against the Marlins, even though it's still early, but Carlos Carrasco just served up a two-run shot to J.J. Blade in the third inning. So now it's Marlins four, Mets zero as they go bottom third. Mets still looking for their first hit of the night. What is it about the Marlins? Seriously, what is it about the Marlins playing the Mets late in the season when the Marlins have nothing to play for and the Mets have everything to play for, and the Mets just completely lay an egg. Explain that to me. How could that be possible? Two games. That's all you had to avoid trap-wise. Two games. And it looks like they're not even going to be able to do that. They even have a day off on Thursday. I mean, are they looking ahead to the Braves series? Is that what they're worried about? Maybe the Braves are looking ahead to the Mets because, the well, the, you know what? As I speak, the Braves were trailing the Nationals, but now they tied it. So now the Braves and the Nats are knotted up at two. See, the Braves know what it takes. They know how to win. They know how to get it done. They have a ring and a trophy to show for it. The Mets just have Timmy Trumpet. That's what they have. They've got Timmy Trumpet. Anyway, we'll deal with them a little bit later on. As far as the Jets are concerned, still trying to dig out from what happened on Sunday and that disappointing performance against the Cincinnati Bengals in a game where, hey, We're sitting here talking about Daniel Jones and the Giants' offensive line and the struggles in which they showed you, but last night we almost said the same exact thing regarding the Jets and how their front five played and trying to keep Joe Flacco upright and didn't really have a hell of a lot of success doing that in losing to the Bengals. I mean, Flacco, he's not as mobile as Daniel Jones, but in so many words, he was having a run for his life in that game, but he can't run for his life. He's older. He's not mobile. But it was affecting his ability to see the field. It was affecting his ability to make throws. And it was clouding his judgment, too, because he threw a couple of poor passes that, A, probably shouldn't have been thrown, which led to mistakes going the other way. So now what? Well, earlier today, George Fant gets placed on injured reserve. Left the game on Sunday with a knee injury. There were some people at the time that were speculating, oh, well, you know, was he getting benched because he wasn't playing well or is he legitimately hurt? No, he's legitimately hurt. And... Now he's going to be out for the next four weeks minimum. So if you look at the Jets' schedule, as it lines up, the earliest that George Fant is going to be able to play is that Patriots game on October the 30th. Not ideal. You got the Steelers, you got the Dolphins, you got the Packers, you got the Broncos. All up next. And dare I say that, yeah, it could be tough sledding. And I know a lot of people are, like, throwing shade right now at Joe Douglas 
and bemoaning the fact, well, how are you dealing with this predicament again with the offensive line? This is how many years into it? It's almost like the same stuff they were saying about Gettleman. Like, how could you be faced in week four already having to be down to your fourth and fifth guys on your original depth chart at the tackle position? Jets went out there and they signed Mike Remmers to the practice squad, who's a veteran tackle, started for the Panthers in Super Bowl 50, started a lot of games for the Giants a couple of years ago. Cedric Abui, who was on the Houston Texans practice squad. All right, this is a guy who was a first-round pick, for people that don't know a lot about him. Cedric Abui was a guy who was a first-round pick of the Cincinnati Bengals in 2015. So it's not like he's ancient by any chance. But the guy has already played. The Jets will be his fifth team already in the National Football League. I think it goes without saying that if you're on five teams in what amounts to seven or eight years, something's wrong that you haven't been able to stick around in one place and make it an extended stay, right? So these are desperate straights right now. You're not supposed to be down this many tackles just three games into the season. That's why you have to go out there and raid other teams' practice squads. You can't put this at the feet of the general manager, can you? I can't. How can anybody account for injuries? All right, Mekhi Becton got hurt. Well, it happens. And some people might say, oh, well, you know what? Mekhi Becton was hurt last year. How do you have any faith in him? You can't expect it back-to-back, people. You can have a contingency plan. You can have a little bit of an insurance policy, and they felt they had that. All right? You had George Fant on the other side, that if something happened to Mekhi Becton, you can at least kick Fant back over to left tackle, or excuse me, you have Fant there at least as your presence at left tackle, and then you can go find somebody else. They signed Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown was a Pro Bowl player. He's an accomplished player. Dwayne Brown goes out there, and he suffers a shoulder injury before he even play a real game. How is that on the general manager? Now, you could sit here and say, well, yeah, you know what? He should have been part of an off-season program. He wasn't really in football shape. How can you ever possibly have any faith in him? I mean, that's you can't play that virtuosity game. It doesn't work that way. It's bad luck more than anything else. Three weeks into the season, and you're down one, two, three tackles. Max Mitchell wasn't even supposed to play this year. Supposed to be a redshirt season for him as a mid-round draft choice. Max Mitchell has now started since week one and played every single game. And the, the ironic part about it is that Max Mitchell is probably not even close to being your weakest link on that offensive line so far in the first three games. He's actually held up pretty well. Really and truly has. I mean, given what the expectations were, Max Mitchell has not been the Jets' problem on that offensive line. Not in the least. But what does this mean for Sunday? Well, what it means is first and foremost, thank goodness that T.J. Watt isn't playing this week. And he's still going to be out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But if he was playing, then we could sit here and have friendly bets as to how many quarterback hits that he would probably have over the course of the afternoon. Is Connor McDermott going to be the guy that's starting at left tackle for you on Sunday in Pittsburgh? You know what? There's a realistic possibility that's the case. Because even these two guys who have maybe a little bit more experience that you just signed off the street, do they know the playbook? Do they know the line calls? Are they going to be able to communicate in the way that you would like? You know, when audibles are called out and so on and so forth and that thing. And oh, by the way... 
you might have a new quarterback in there too. So think about it. The guys that have been on the field for the first few weeks of the season, they've been playing with Joe Flacco. Now you might have Zach Wilson in there, and that is an entire different set of tendencies that you're going to have to grow accustomed to. This could not be happening at a more inopportune time for this football team right now. Injuries are never a good thing, but this shuffle is not what this team needs. Whoever the quarterback is going to be. Sleep tight on Saturday. Sleep tight all week. Be thankful that T.J. Watt isn't playing. But the Steelers, you know what they do defensively? They make things tricky, and they try to confuse the opposing quarterback. They will blitz. They'll disguise blitzes. They'll disguise coverages. They'll do all those things. So they make you think that you're seeing one thing, and then all of a sudden, wham, they got guys coming at you from a completely different direction. And you're going to have to account for that. The line is going to have to communicate with one another to try to diagnose what they're seeing pre-snap. And I think it goes without saying that if you've watched this team so far in the first three weeks, they're having problems when it comes to communicating, both offensively and defensively. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. You look at that offensive line, Lakin Tomlinson's got to be better. This is a guy that was signed that was made a priority in the offseason to go get him from the 49ers because he's familiar with this scheme, knows the offense, and they think that he would be, or they thought he was going to be, a guy was in the Pro Bowl last year, thought he would be one of the pillars on this line and stick him at left guard. Kick Elijah Vera Tucker over to right guard. Lincoln Tomlinson has had a rough start to the season. That was not forecasted. So now you're potentially looking at a newbie at left tackle, a guy at left guard who's still trying to find his way despite the fact that he's a veteran, and then you have still, in the truest sense of the word, a rookie at the other tackle position, and a guy who wasn't supposed to play much this year. Oh, did I mention, by the way, the quarterback could be different? I did, didn't I? Yeah. And you don't think that he's going to have some rust on him on Sunday? And Zach Wilson? Wow. Right? Wow. Does one and two feel like one and two? I asked that question to the fans. Are you more optimistic or pessimistic based on what you've seen from three games? I know that, unfortunately, the game on Sunday was a clunker. It was not good. There were too many bad tendencies that you've kind of seen repeatedly from this football team. And you want to push that aside. That's why this game is really, really important. Because this, if this team is going to be improved, and if they are going to make strides under Robert Sala in his second season, you get this one on Sunday, that could really set off a nice string of momentum you would hope for the rest of the year. Two and two in the first four ain't too shabby. I think anybody would have signed up for that when you looked at the schedule before the season started, right? A two and two start, not the end of the world. However, if you lose this game, piggybacking it off of the performance that you put out there against the Cincinnati Bengals, now that's a problem. Then you start to hear the, well, same old Jets, same old story. Not going to turn this thing around. Not finally going to correct some of these mistakes. But the news about the offensive line, that's not doing him any favors. And tomorrow, we're going to get the official word as to who the quarterback is going to be. Because remember, Robert Sala played a coy yesterday when he met with the media. 
He said, oh, we'll know for sure in the next, you know, 24, 36 hours. Right. Because that's on Wednesday. The next time he was going to meet the media, that's when he was going to speak. And that is when the media was going to have questions as to, okay, who's going to be the quarterback on Sunday? That's when they're back on the practice field. And he would let them know. But if he could keep the Steelers guessing for another day, another day and a half, they would try to use that to their advantage, right? Why shouldn't they? 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. When we come back, I'm going to get into just that because there's been these theories kind of floating around from the fans about, well, they're far from a perfect outfit right now. So does it even behoove them to stick Zach Wilson in his first game back and not having played in six weeks and whatnot behind a suspect offensive line that they could possibly put out there on Sunday in Pittsburgh? I'll give you my thoughts. want to hear from you as well. It's the Dan Gross Show. We're rolling until 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN here on this Tuesday. We'll talk a little football coming up at 9 o'clock with our good buddy Anthony Beck. Do a little Jets-Giants, go around the league with A.B. Let's say hi to our pal Artie in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Art, good to hear from you, pal. How are you? Dude, just get me off this ledge. I can't. I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the game over and over, and, and it's like I'm freaking Bill Belichick looking at every play. It's the stupidest thing. But explain to me one thing, right? Yeah. This guy's getting paid millions of dollars. He's our, he's, he's our highest free agent guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was killing Beckham, all this. Got hurt. Oh, there goes our pass rush and stuff like that. He's playing against his ex-team. You figure a little motivation, right? Go ahead. Tell me how many ta- – forget socks. How many tackles did he get? You're talking about Carl Lawson, of course, correct? Of course. Yes. Um, he was relatively quiet in terms of the stat sheet yeah. on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero. But he got a lot of pressures. He was credited with yeah, a lot pressure. of pressures. Yeah, I, 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 you get that? You get credit for, for advancing past the line on the, on the snap or something? Is that considered a pressure? Because to me, it's almost like a participation trophy. Now I'm watching the Cowboy game. Yeah. Right? And they're playing with their second-string quarterback with a coach that's supposed to be terrible mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of guys. And all I see is this guy, Parsons, who's sick, 
and this guy Lawrence, who I have never, I don't even know, dominating on defense, right? Mm-hmm. Dominating. So somebody explained that, like, and I am not okay going to say that I know more than these these coaches and stuff like that. Salaries about like coaches Super Bowl and stuff like that. If he's going to tell me that Michael Carter is a better defensive back than Hall, I don't know football. I don't know football. I don't know where the heck he started all last year, Hall, and I thought he did freaking good. I don't even know why we need Reed in the first place, but now he can't find the field. The second thing is they draft, and you tell me if I'm wrong too, they mm-hmm. drafted a kid in Davis. They raised, they said that there was a steal. The guy runs back kicks. He runs back punts in, in college, right? So the guy yep. has a little speed. They are playing with two strong safeties. Two strong safeties. The guy, he made the, so far we won one game, he made the biggest play of the game. And he can't see the field. Right? Right. So now we're in a position where we need a fade. Right, Dan? And we're throwing a fade to Elijah Moore. I love Elijah Moore. But we got this guy Mims that I don't know in college. He was catching face in college. He's six foot four. Can we use him? He's on the team. Can we use a fade? And the last thing, you look this up. The strip sack. Mm-hmm. That's why I called you. I'm looking at the strip sack, Dan, right? It's four yards. Five receivers, no running backs. Like this. They don't chip. They got this Henderson guy against number 76. I guess it's Mitchell all by himself, right? Nobody's turned around after four yards. They're running seven yards. You need four. Turn around. (laughs) Artie, I love you. I love you. Oh, my. By the way, I mean, there's a lot to tackle there, which Artie brought up. And he he actually threw a name out there at the very end, which I was going to begin with. I don't want to make Artie feel any worse than he already does being a fan, but he mentioned Carl Lawson to start. All right. Remember what team Carl Lawson came from before the Jets, right? He came from Cincinnati. So when Carl Lawson left in free agency last offseason to sign with the Jets, remember who Cincinnati signed to be his replacement? They signed a free agent from the New Orleans Saints, by the name of Trey Hendrickson. <laughs> Trey Hendrickson last year had 14 sacks, made the Pro Bowl, went to the Super Bowl. On Sunday, he had two and a half sacks against the Jets. The force fumble, like Artie just brought up, you know, in a lot of ways almost wrecked the game. And meantime, Carl Lawson missed all of last year with an injury. This year, he's still having a hard time getting up to speed. And, and ever, look, I'm not making excuses for Carl Lawson. I'm just telling you what coaches, players, who have ever experienced this type of injury will tell you. When you suffer the Achilles injury, it takes you a while, sometimes even almost having a year under your belt before you start to feel whole again. You know, because it's so much predicated on speed. And what Carl Lawson does in his, his position, it's predicated on speed, getting that burst off the line of scrimmage. Now, unfortunately, though, it's a bottom-line business. It's a production business, right? 
And Trey Hendrickson is tearing it up as a member of the Cincinnati Bengals the last year and a half, and the Jet fans haven't really heard much from Carl Lawson. They're expecting a lot more. And everything we talked about from this defense, everything, anything and everything, sound like a broken record. So much of it is based on them getting a pass rush from the front four. That's what it comes down to. And he is the linchpin of that. And if he's not doing his thing, then you know what? That's one less guy that let's say opponents have to double team, which doesn't free up the others to get home possibly. And re- hey, Quinton Williams, by the way, and I know that he's an interior defensive lineman. He's having a great start to the season. He really and truly is. Guy's balling out there. The guy's a beast. But it's not showing up to the extent that maybe you would like it to. But these other guys have to get home. They've got to. And if they're not, then it's going to expose all these other issues in the back end of the defense. And we've already seen, among other things, communication issues in that secondary, which lead to touchdowns. You know, Artie brought up Michael Carter. Michael Carter, he's a nickelback. And he played that position all last year as a rookie, and I think he does a good job. He really and truly does. Bryce Hall's a guy who plays outside. He's not a nickel corner. I remember they were kicking him in there last year on, on occasion and didn't really and truly work out that well. But that's Michael Carter's position. And they feel that the other two guys, and look, Jet Corners have been pretty good this year. DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, those guys have been good. I don't know why Bryce Hall hasn't seen the field. I don't know why he's not active for these games. Couldn't tell you. But they feel that the other guys who were suiting up at that position have done a better job. You know, Brandon Eccles is a young corner, second year in the league. They like him. And Ashton Davis, why doesn't he play more in the base defense? I guess my answer to that question is I think they've seen a lot of him for the last two seasons. And he struggled. He struggled. And all the things, as Arnie said, that he was supposed to be and he was as advertised to be when he was, you know, being drafted, coming out of Cal as a high pick, what was he, in the third round or whatever? We haven't seen that yet on this level. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. Let's go to David in Queens. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Dave, how are you? Dan, thanks. Um, I just tuned in, so I don't know if you discussed the Shepherd. Um, the yes. A lot of things with Shepherd last night. Have you discussed yep. it? Yeah? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, like... Yeah, it was a it was it was it brought up that he he ran on the field, which he should have been flagged 100 percent because he was trying to defuse it because evidently he's like one of the best loved guys in the league as we saw when he was carted off. I mean the outpouring of love, like I was it was told to me that he he ran on the field to defuse it because he's like a little joker and he's a little bit of a wise guy type guy and um and he and then he got caught only because he scurried off the field like you know and it was he was the way he ran off it was a uh, you know it was seen by everybody and he got that flag which was a killer flag and then ironically he and that was when and by the way game. for those that don't don't know what Dave's talking about that was when Daniel mm-hmm. Jones ran the ball and got hit laid out of bounds and then the skirmish mm-hmm. kind of happened and then Stur- uh, yeah. Shepard came out there and you know tried to look like he was maybe trying to stick up for his quarterback referees only saw it one way and they threw the flag see I don't Dave I don't know if yeah. he was joking or not but the refs no, I heard he was thought joking he was then. like it's been confirmed out there I mean I I'm, I mean I'm putting it out there because like first you think he's coming off like um you know like viewing in the playoffs and stuff, but he really right, right, right. out the fight. He's, he's evidently like a little, which is wrong. He should be flying. He can't come off. But he actually came off because his mindset is that he's like the type that can defuse that, which is a crazy mindset. But, you know, but I mean, that's what the word is that he was going out there like that, but he only got caught because caught, um, caught he ran like, like scurried right off, you know, but 
which is weird. It was a weird thing, bad penalty. But uh, you got to like the guy. But the injury, this this field, Dan, and I know you work for the Jets, and I love your um, I love your pregame, man, and postgame. I really Appreciate love you. it. Must listen, must listen. And um, the thing is, uh, the trivia is the best in the world. <laughs> Don does a good job with that. Oh, you guys kill it. I mean, it's, it's the best in the world. I don't think there could be a better pregame than you have. It, like, the Mets have the best um, uh, booth, and you guys probably have the best pregame in the country slash postgame, especially with all the Jet mishaps. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's entertaining enough, and you guys are great. I'm not just saying that. But so let me tell you, the field, is this going to be addressed ever, or is it going to continue to be ignored? Um, because obviously I'm not a scientist, meteorologist, weather guy, knowing about fields or whatever, or putting down fields, but this field is a problem, Dan, and I think it's going to affect free agency. I don't think anyone's going to want to play eight games a year there. Um, I think it's going to be only brought to attention worldwide when a superstar, God forbid, rips up his knee and maybe possibly ends a career. It, that's going to bring it to the forefront because this, well, this is the problem there. Thank you. Well, David started, and, and I thank you for the phone call, all the kind words, and, and you know, I hope you keep coming back to us here. Um, they first got attention, if you remember, and we weren't even there because it was during the pandemic season. There were no fans there. It was in 2020. The Jet home opener that year against San Francisco. Remember that? It was in week two. And ironically enough, Robert Sala was on the sidelines. He was the Niners defensive coordinator that year. But in that game, Solomon Thomas, who's now a Jet, ironically, Jimmy Garoppolo, those are the two that I remember, both suffered serious injuries that day on that field, like very early in the game. And that kind of got the whole thing started again, you know, started talking about the field. Is it safe? Is it this? Is it that? Um, You saw what happened last night to Shepard. Back in week one, if you remember, when the Jets played the Ravens this year, how many Baltimore guys went down? Juwan James suffered a season-ending injury. Um, The corner, was it Kyle Fuller? Towards the end of the game, he suffered a brutal injury in the end zone, which I think was a season-ending injury. Are they all attributed to the turf? I mean, like I said, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I didn't study these things significantly. I know that John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, but again, those are his guys. I know he had something to say about it, that maybe the footing and the, and the support felt a little bit different. Look, I, I don't travel around from stadium to stadium. Like, that, that's not my job. I'm not in the league. So I don't know how one playing surface compares to another. I just walk on the field. When I, when I show up at the stadium on game days, you know, f- for me to cut across to the coaches club where we do our broadcast for pregame, I walk across the field because it's a shorter walk instead of having to walk, like, all the way around. So I, I walk on the field before the game. Nobody's there. You know, people are warming up and whatnot. So, But I'm just, you know, some yo-yo just walking on the field. I'm not playing. I'm not running. I'm not wearing cleats or anything like that. You know, I'm dressed to the nines in my Sunday best. But I'm just, you know, minding my business on a nice leisurely stroll. I, I, I don't know how that compares to other fields in the NFL. I would trust the experts a little bit more and – I would also like to think that the league is probably something that's been alerted to this. And if they thought that it was detrimental and it does compromise, let's say, the safety and the welfare of players, it's been already three years. I think something might have something might have been done to address it already. That's what I would like to think. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. 
But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Just to update you real quick on the festivities regarding the two baseball locals, Pete Alonzo connecting on what might prove to be one of the bigger hits of the Mets season in that fourth inning, a three-run jack to get them a little bit closer and, more importantly, just breathe some life into what just seems like a dead city field tonight. But the Mets still trail the Marlins 4-3 in the top half of the fifth inning. Carrasco just did not have it tonight. As far as I'm concerned, that should be the last meaningful game he pitches for the Mets this year. I've had enough of Carlos Carrasco in these spots. And I know this, if he can't handle the Marlins in late September, how's he going to fare in the playoffs against, you know, whatever team you want to insert that they could be faced with in October? Enough is enough as far as I'm concerned there. Um, Yankees lead the Jays 3-1, to which is good news, right? in the bottom of the fifth inning, so there are a few innings away potentially from wrapping up the American League East. But Aaron Judge has three plate appearances tonight. He's 0-for-1 with two walks. None of them, of course, are a home run, which is certainly, uh, you know, depressing to fans because that's what they want to see. They want to see history. He's due to bat fourth in the sixth inning. So we'll keep you opposed uh, with all of that stuff. By the way, shout out to Chris on Twitter who tweeted me. You know, I was talking about the situation with the field and MetLife Stadium and the turf, and I brought up that Niners game back in 2020. The other player was, uh, was um, Nick Bosa, who got hurt as well on that defensive line. So it was Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa. Uh, Jimmy G got nicked up a little bit there too, but Bosa was, of course, the big one too. It was just like boom, boom, boom. And, of course, Niners still found a way to win that game. I remember we were sitting there that day watching the game, and we were saying, my gosh, with all these – guys that the Niners have going down and it was all like in the first half you're like the Jets got to be able to win this game no I mean they, they gotta and of course they didn't but we didn't know really what season we were going to be in store for in 2020 that was when they started off oh in what was it 12 13 before they finally won a game who knows Jose is in Newark he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN Jose how are you I'm good man in traffic as always wonder if this is how Danny Jones felt yesterday <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's dude, funny man, i uh, like it yeah listen I, I felt terrible for him i felt terrible for him and, and i'm not a giant fan i'm a jet fan and my biggest worry because our offensive line is just as bad is we get this kid back and we can't we we can't defend them or protect them and the end we end up shelving them in week six or week seven and we don't we still don't find out what kind of talent he is because we can't protect them what happened to Danny yesterday was just painful to watch. And and by the way, I don't think Dallas is as good as some of the morning show guys were talking about where, you know, they could be there competing with Philly. They're still undisciplined. They still have a problem with having a Zeke Elliott that's a year older. Yep. They still have this frustratingly talented CeeDee Lamb who can't get out of his own way. He dropped a basket catch. You know, and this kid is super talented, but he always finds a way to just muck it up for himself. And then he comes back. Yeah, but did you see that catch he made in the end zone zone. with the one hand? That's exactly what I was saying. It's the frustrating thing about him. He'll make the the difficult catches, 
but then he'll he'll mess up, you know, a, a, a gimme like the one he dropped. So, you know, Dallas is still Dallas for me. The Giants could still make their way through that division, I think. It's Philly and everybody else. But my biggest concern, and I don't know if you agree, mm-hmm. is seeing Zach Wilson come back into a situation where he's in a vulnerable state with an offensive line that can't, you know, he doesn't have cement shoes like Flacco does. But, you know, you still kind of worry about a guy. You still have questions about his health and his, his durability. And we're no better at offensive line than we were last year or the year before. So um, I'm hoping not. I'm always the optimist. But I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned. Seeing what Danny went through yesterday and seeing that that could possibly be Zach's future, man, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about that with him coming in close. Jose, good phone call. Here's what I'll say about that. Look, there's always going to be risk. There's always going to be risk no matter who you are playing the quarterback position. I mean, look what happened to Shepard last night. Shepard ends up getting hurt, and, and nobody even touched him. You know, these things can happen regardless in the, uh, in the NFL. But if you're hoping and praying and wishing for the Jets' offensive line to suddenly get whole and to get healthy and sturdy, well, what does that mean for the quarterback? You can't play that game. You can't use that wait-and-see approach because, after all, like if you're hoping for Fant to come back, if you're hoping for Dwayne Brown to come back and all these other things, and all of a sudden they're going to mesh and play together as a unit. So what are we supposed to do, keep Zach Wilson on the sidelines until that day arrives and just continue to punt games away? What What about the problems with the defense? Like this is only like one component of the football team. Right? The defense still has some things that need shoring up. They're still giving up way too many plays, way too many yards, way too many points. You got to get them in there. I don't know how many more times we could keep saying it. Like, this season is critical for the Jets and for Zach Wilson. They need to know what they have in this guy by the end of the year. It's not going to be perfect. I mean, no, no team has a perfect situation with the off. I mean, look, think how many hits Brady's taken already this year. Brady's already chirping about, like, too many hits. Like, on his, his weekly show, he was saying, oh, my, a lot of hits. You know, and, and he's had to do it for 20-plus years. But that's life in the NFL. As much as the referees want to keep these quarterbacks in a bubble and protect them, they're going to get hit. They have the ball in their hands on every single play. Nobody is going to get a, have a game as a quarterback in the NFL to where you're not touched the entire night. It's just not going to happen. It's unrealistic. And if you have a bad offensive line, you know what? You might need a quarterback with a little bit more mobility like you saw from Daniel Jones last night, and we know that Zach Wilson has that tenfold over Joe Flacco. Flacco did a nice job. He won a game, as improbable as it might have been. But now it's time to turn things over to the guy who was supposed to be the key to the franchise. And I think that he is. If he doesn't hit, if he isn't not the real deal, it's going to be changes. It's going to be changes. But if he hits, then that could be a sign of better things to come. Say hi to Lee in Harlem. He's up next. 98.7 ESPN. Lee, how are you? Hey, how you doing today? What's up, Lee? I'm Hank. Man, I just I just had to call you today, damn man, let you know, man, that was a, a rough one. We had him on the ropes. Danny was running for his life all game. He still almost pulled it out. The refs took that game from us again against Dallas. When can we ever – who do we have to pay to, to get a good ref call game against Dallas for once? It's like they picked up the holding penalty. 
then the guy run into each other. That's the offensive uh, tax interference. I'm like, what is they doing to us? We couldn't even get going. And he, and we had him on the ropes. We we had it. We was up by seven. Imagine we don't get called for those two plays. Could have at least got ten more points or at least six more. We had him. It, it was terrible. I, I'm just. The Cowboys actually got penalized more times than the Giants, though, last night, Lee. They actually got penalized for more yardage than the Giants. But here's here's what – and look, the the incident – to me, that was incidental contact. I know the way they write it, offensive pass interference, the Shepard play. That was rare. You know what I mean? And it was bad luck more than anything. I personally wish they wouldn't have thrown the flag because I do think that it was incidental. However, here's the biggest problem I have with the Giants. You got that Saquon touchdown. Place is going crazy. And by the way, the crowd last night was very, very good. I know there were a lot of Cowboy fans there, but still, very good crowd last night. Saquon has a touchdown. You're up 13-6. You got a lead. You got momentum. Can the defense not go out there and let the Cowboys go right down the field to tie the game? Can they get a stop? Right? At the very least. And there again lies the problem that we talked about early in the show when we were breaking down the game. Leonard Williams was missed last night. His absence was really felt. And the defense, which has kind of done an okay job like all season up until this point, at least the first two weeks, that one left a bad taste in my mouth. You have a lead. Go out there and then make a stand. And they couldn't get it done. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Mets are trailing the Marlins 4-3, and Miami's got bases loaded here in the fifth, trying to tack on a little bit more. But are the Mets getting caught looking ahead to the Atlanta Braves and that all-important series this weekend? You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hey, Judge walked again. Wouldn't you know it? So three more walks for Aaron Judge tonight. Still no home run. And, and, and you know, now it's, it started out being a joke. I wonder if, like, there is something to it. I never really thought much of it, but with the Maris family being there, watching Judge's every move over the last handful of games, he hasn't hit a home run. And just does that, like, add to the pressure a little bit more? I mean, how much longer are they going to follow this guy around? And I'm sure that they're probably tired of it, too. You know, they're living their lives. They're doing their thing. And, you know, who, who wants to have it cut short? You know, they have to spend the week going to Yankee games at the stadium. Then they have to fly all the way up to Toronto, for crying out loud. You know, who knows if their passports were still valid? Maybe some of them aren't because there ain't as many Maris uh, kids there in Toronto as there were at Yankee Stadium. I can promise you that. They must be like, oh, geez, will you hit this home run already and get it over with? Come on, I'm tired. of. I mean, like, are they even watching Yankee games if they're not on this Aaron Judge, you know, uh, concert tour? Who do the Yankees have next? It's back home for Baltimore. So then, okay, now they got to go back to, to the Bronx and to watch Yankee games and, and watch the Orioles for the weekend? And then what? 
to Texas next week if he still doesn't do it? Thunder, I mean, like, think about what we have done as a people over the last couple of years. With the pandemic, and we were all locked at home, and we couldn't do anything, and we had to learn how to work from home, and, you know, Zoom, and all this technology. You mean to tell me the Maris kids can't record a video and have it played on the Jumbotron or whatever when Aaron Judge hits the home run? Like, they've got to be there? And if you want to take technology even further, I mean, shoot, we could even, they're, they're doing these, like, holograms of people. Just do, like, a hologram of the Maris family. If push comes to shove. I mean, they do one of Michael Jackson, for crying out loud. They could do one of the Maris kids. Hell, you could even do one of Roger Maris. Hologram of Roger Maris. He can make, make up some, have, write him a speech and let the hologram congratulate Aaron Judge. Oh, it'd be fantastic. He can have Cade doing the play-by-play of it at the stadium. Be great. Superb. You could do anything in this world nowadays. Bigger issue is with the Mets, boys and girls. It really is. They get a little bit closer with that Pete Alonso home run to make it 4-3. And now the Marlins get two more in the fifth to go up 6-3 again. The beginning of this show, beginning of this game tonight, I said, if you are the Mets, do not get caught looking ahead to the weekend. You still got two big games against the Marlins. I know their season is over. I know the manager is already not coming back next year and blah, 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 blah. But this Marlins team, anybody who is a scholar of Mets history knows that the Marlins have historically been a thorn in the Mets side, especially in these late season situations. Have they not? 2007, the most infamous, right? That game they had to win on the final day. Tommy Glavin doesn't have it. You got Hanley Ramirez. It seemed like being a thorn in the Mets side. I mean, enough is enough is enough. Anyway, Buck Showalter when he met the media before tonight's game. Wouldn't you know it? Buck, you know, was always thinking big picture. Buck was asked specifically about what we're discussing right now regarding, hey, what about that Atlanta series coming up this weekend? Here's what the manager had to say. It's about Pablo Lopez and the Marlins tonight. That's as far as we're, we're going. And that's as far as those type of things, weather and this. Obviously, it's been talked about. It has to be. And it, you know, it started you know, on the plane on the way home. But nothing that gets in the way of what we have to do tonight. And then we get through it tonight. Well, tomorrow, I think there's going to be some moving things. I think from my concern and, and Billy's concern and, and, and Jeremy's concern is making sure that we position ourselves to go in different as many directions as we can and not get tied up into this and all of a sudden something happens and you got to be careful about making too many plans, but you do need to create some versatility in what you're able to do and not do, and that's the one advantage of the off days. But uh, you also at some point need to tell pitchers as far as work days and all those other things. But I guarantee you something will happen over the course of tonight that will change the way we look at it. It's happened every day. So, I mean, look, let's be frank, we're somewhat adults here. We, we know what's going on with, but I, I really don't want to put a focus on that because our guys have done a great job of staying on task, and we've got to task one of the better pitchers in the league tonight. We've got to be on top of it. Yeah, you know what happened tonight, which is going to change their outlook? It's called Carlos Carrasco didn't bother showing up. The bats, for the most part, have taken the night off against Pablo Lopez, who Pablo Lopez was really good in April. He was like the National League pitcher in the month of April, but he's been terrible since, and that's what's changed. And unless they mount a comeback here in the late innings and get their act together, they're going to lose tonight and quite possibly be tied for first place again when they wake up tomorrow morning. Because the Braves right now, despite the fact they were losing 2-0 to Washington, now they've scored six unanswered and they're doing what you're supposed to do to a bad team and they're beating the Nationals up pretty good. 
I mean, it's like it's the same old, same old, same old. And, and I don't think that we're making too much of this. Or, we're, you know, we're wrong for making too much of this. You feel confident that the Mets could get to a World Series if they get in as a wild card and not the division champs and have to play that extra round and have to tailor their pitching staff a certain way just to get those first three games, then go into the division series? And who knows who you're going to be playing in that next round? Either the Dodgers or the Atlanta Braves if you don't win the division. And you're not going to have the pitching staff set up the way you want it to. Not ideal. And it's even going to be worse because you had your destiny in your own hands. And you couldn't capitalize on it. You couldn't take advantage of it. I don't think this is an overreaction. I really and truly don't. That's how important winning the division would be for this team. Ask Atlanta. They know how important it is. They want it just as bad. But they're not stubbing their toe against these also-rans like the Mets seem to be doing here against the Marlins. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>